Welcome to the BAI Show, Shane. Thanks, Benny. Thanks for having me. You're looking sharp as a tack. Oh, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're looking relaxed. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling underdressed. It's all good. I obviously had the pleasure of working with you when you were at Cohen Handler. And, you know, I've seen your, your career evolve in a really fast, um, positive way. I, I guess I just wanted to peel back the layers a bit. And I guess for my understanding as well, also the listeners, but just get a bit of an understanding around, you know, your career in real estate. Because I know it's doesn't stop at the buyer's agent, um, Mark. You've been involved in your own developments. Um, you've done a lot. So I guess I wanted to kick off and understand, like, when did you get your first taste for property? Like that first beer, but when was it for property? Yeah, so it was when I was, I was working at IBM at the time, IBM Australia, uh, based here in Brisbane at the time I'd moved up from, from Sydney. And it was really when I went to buy, like I wanted to buy my first home. That's, that's where the taste started. So I started researching and looking into, you know, what I should buy, where I should buy, that sort of thing. And I think it was, it was through that process where I started to see, you know, the, the growth that people had achieved through buying and owning properties. And I was comparing that to my salary at IBM in terms of how often it went up and how much it went up. And I looked at it, I still remember looking at it going, oh, these guys paid, and I don't know what the numbers were at the time. Yeah, they paid 140000 for this house in, you know, 1984. And now it's selling for 580 or something like that, right? And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's good growth. I'm not going to get wages growth out of just being in a salaried type employment. I want to really look into this property thing. And that's, that's kind of what got me kicked off and had me start to uh, investigate it further and try and work out what it was that I could potentially be doing in that space. I also had a very, I guess, burning desire to find something that I enjoyed doing. So whilst IT was something I went into straight out of uni, that was mostly because I think as often our parents do suggest to go and get a good job with a good sized company that's safe and secure. So that's uh, that's what I did when I left uni. But I was very quickly realizing that it wasn't something that I was passionate about and that I loved. And I'd sort of developed that belief in myself that if I was really going to to get along in life, that I needed to find something I was passionate about and that I enjoyed. I guess I was so in a sense searching for it as well. And they sort of those two worlds combined when I started looking to buy a house for myself. That's how it all started. I love it. So I want to talk about IBM in a sec, but specifically, what was it about property, like as an asset class, that was attractive to you? Like, was it the, the capital growth? Was it the passive income? Like, was there something that really stood out for you? Yeah. So it was, there was a few things. I mean, I had been used to working in an office as well and property got me outside. So that's one thing I really just liked being out and about and, you know, looking around and understanding areas and suburbs. And that, I guess I felt a lot more um, inspired to do than look at a data center, for example. You know, like you're, everything happens indoors and then it's just looking at something else that's indoors that's a rack of tin and you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's exciting. So that was one thing, just being out and about, oh, he's been outdoors and sporty sort of a person. And then I guess the capital growth is what initially drew me to property that I was really interested in that capital growth. And then, you know, as I, I guess, I guess delved into that a little bit further, it was, oh, wow, you can actually manufacture equity or manufacture capital growth as well. This, you know, this concept of property development. And that's where I really got interested in that as well. And I'll be open about it. I was pretty heavily focused on creating wealth. So I really wanted to create financial freedom for my family. And I felt that property provided a couple of avenues. I didn't have any expertise around shares or markets or trading. And I guess the other option is is run a business. And that's sort of that combined with property though is what 
you know, really got me interested in it. Yeah, nice. So what originally got you into IBM? Okay, yeah, that's an interesting one. So I did a business degree at uni and I went into uni not knowing what I wanted to do after it. And it was purely an elective subject, which was object-oriented modeling or something, I think it was. It was some form of programming right back in the day. And I really enjoyed it. And that does not make me a computer expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I quite enjoyed that. And I literally finished my degree and I was online looking for jobs and just decided to go for the biggest companies I could find. So I went for... I think it was like Cadbury or something. Cadbury Schweppes had a job. Sony had a job and IBM. And so like these were just sort of some of the major corporations. So I wasn't necessarily interested in IT, but I guess I'd done that one subject. Back when I was at UniBand, and this to tell my age, I couldn't type. I was flat out typing when I went to uni. I hand wrote most of my assignments and some of my classmates hated me for it because they'd be all neat and typed up and I would handwrite it the night before and often get better marks. But yeah, so that there was no real like connection to computers otherwise, except for that sort of final subject. I did end up going and doing a touch typing course in my holidays at uni. So I learned to type so I wasn't so slow. That's really what got me into IT. And then and at the time, um, so I was I grew up in the country, country New South Wales. I went to uni in Wagga Wagga, which is I guess big country town. Um, the interviews for IBM were in Sydney. I had to travel up. The first interview was, I think it was a half a day or it might have even been full day. And there was like a couple hundred people, literally. And you were put into all different sorts of situations, you know, to see how you'd work as a group, see how it'd solve problems. You know, there were some individual tests. There were all sorts of... And then if you got through that round, you got invited back a couple of weeks later to do another kind of level of assessment. So that's what ended up happening and that's what got me into IBM. So yeah, I guess what drew me to it was had an inkling that I did a computer subject that was interesting and just wanted to go for one of the biggest companies I could find. And at the time, IBM was you know kind of like what Google was is today, I guess. It was like one of the biggest and most well-known IT companies on the planet. Interesting. Did you learn something specifically from that time in your life working big corporate, dealing with you know so many different styles of people? Like, Is there anything specifically there that you've then transitioned and brought into now running your business that you've been able to leverage from or? Uh, 100%. And that's something that um, I never realized until I'd left IBM as well. So being a company of that size, the level of training and mentoring and development that you got there was, was significant. And they also had quite high standards that you had to maintain. IBM was like the benchmark. If you could get into work for IBM, that's where people wanted to be. And so what I guess we, when I say we, my wife, that's where we met at IBM. We reflect on it now. She's been to other jobs in other IT corporations and finally finds herself back now with a big multinational because they tend to operate in a very similar way at high level corporate businesses. You know, I guess there's a, there's a, a lot of smart people there, a lot of people that are very strategic and they do well in what they do. They've got a lot of integrity and that's why they rise to the top levels in those organizations. So we got to, I got to learn to be around that level of holding yourself to account and responsibility and doing things to a certain level of standard. And then it was the work ethic as well. I mean, it's, it was still a joke. If you went home at five o'clock at IBM, it was like, oh, what are you doing a half day? You know, that was kind of a, a running joke for a while. And I still remember, you know, we worked on tenders till midnight. Like we worked through the morning sometimes. There were things that were just due and had to be done and you just stay back till seven, eight o'clock at night and then you'd go home. Like, you know, it's just, it's just a work ethic there, I think, as well, that it was kind of expected because that's what, everyone there that was doing that was sort of wanted to go somewhere. 
So there were a lot of things. Yeah. Just the level of professionalism, the work ethic. You had to sell more internally at IBM than you did externally. Like, cause I was in a sales and business development role. And to engage the, the troops, so to speak, you had to have everything lined up and organized and I guess understood. So you had to know who the decision makers were. You had to know when the decisions were, were happening, what the drivers were and like all of this sort of, I guess, multi-tiered sales, uh, I guess, strategy and understanding is what you had to bring back into the company because to, to get everyone focused on, on a particular deal might cost a couple hundred thousand dollars in resources. If I've got to pull in a solutions architect and then an engineer and then a, the, all the different components to respond to a client requirement or to respond to a tender, or that can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you kind of learn how to deal with multiple stakeholders and sort of manage that juggle as well. Because all of our clients were, you know, large, larger corporations mostly. Like I worked with, you know, Brisbane City Council, Suncorp, Camelco, Queensland Rail, you know, all of the major big companies in the city were all our clients. And none of those would just talk to one person and get a decision made. There were multiple tiers to, to I guess, multiple stakeholders to have to understand and position and win over and, and learn about. So yeah, it was on reflection. I, I did learn a lot there. I was there for 10 years, so you would hope so. And yeah, with the role that you're in, it would have benefited you a lot with, with where you are now, with what you're doing. Yeah, I think so. It has just taught me that discipline, that business skill, just those little things of getting back to people, making sure things get done and, you know, communicating and all of those sort of little basics that we had to just do constantly, I think just create a good experience no matter where you are type thing. Yeah, absolutely. And do you prefer now, I mean, obviously you're in a B2C selling environment. Do you prefer B2C versus B2B selling? Yeah, I do because it's different. You're, you're, you're having a different effect on someone's life, especially when you're buying family homes. It's, it's a lot more emotional um, and, or investment properties, obviously, but um, in the commercial world, it is less emotional. Sometimes the relationship has to go for a lot longer as well. So if you don't get along or it's not working, then it's not like you can just change it in five minutes. You know, there's stakeholders and people that you might need to deal with for years on end in the corporate world, whereas obviously in, in, with what we do, um, we tend to buy fairly quickly for clients. And then you actually, I think, create a closer connection with those people and in the future you buy again. But they're just they're quite different in that sense though. Okay. I guess for the listeners, and we'll dive into this, I mean, for their benefit, I mean, you've been involved in a lot of development projects. You obviously went straight into development from what I understand. And then obviously now you've moved into the buyer's agency space, which you've been in for a while. But I wanted to zoom out a bit. And I guess if there was someone that was looking to get into development and now coming to you for advice, they'd never even completed a project before. And there was one lesson that you could give them not to do. Not to do. Yeah, right. Not to do. Like something to be cautious of. Maybe not not to do, but something to be very cautious of when embarking on a development journey or even their first project. What would you share with them? I think if I, and that probably where, that, where I go to straight away was where were some of the challenges that I had around development. It does all really boil down to knowing your numbers at the end of the day. And so, and the key there though is, is that the numbers don't lie, but be careful where you get them from and who you listen to about. That's probably the big, big lesson. So, And be considerate of what stake that person giving you those numbers actually has in the process and what they have to gain. So there's a lot of different people that you'll need to gather information from in the development process. It is a massive coordination effort, basically. You're the central point in the glue for everything that has to happen. And you will feel like actually you think you're working for yourself, but you're not. You're working for everybody else, basically. You're working for the bank. You're working for, you know, anyone else is invested in it, you work because you get paid last. 
you actually only get paid if there's money left at the end of it. And so the other professionals throughout the process, which there are numerous, you know, engineers, surveyors, um, you know, there's builders, there's, you know, uh, various different contractors. There's a lot of different people to the party. When you're getting the information that you need to get to pull all your numbers together, I would say make sure you get more than one opinion and probably just triangulate it. I used to this sort of act like a GPS thing. I mean, it sounds obvious, but there are points where you might start to just trust certain information or trust certain things that actually may not turn out to be close to what you expected. And so I think it's just know your numbers, stick to your numbers. If they don't quite work, um, nothing magical is going to happen to fix them. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing, but just assume nothing because I think if you bought a site in Brisbane a year ago, then a lot of magical things happen to help you if you stuffed up. You know, if you if you kind of overpaid for something a year and a half, two years ago, you were sort of forgiven for it, which I think that time's coming to an end where the truth will be revealed. So... I like that. It's good advice. How was the development journey for you? I know you were involved in a lot. And I know, I mean, I came from a, a corporate development background, but I do know that private developers, like there's this appearance that, you know, they just crush it and very wealthy and it's just the thing to do in property, right? But I mean, looking under your blanket around, you know, what you saw and what you experienced, you know, ups and downs, what's been your perspective, you know, as a developer? Yeah, I mean, you did a lot of smaller projects. So, and by smaller, I mean, things like splitter blocks, you know, where you split a block into two lots, you sell the land or you build on it and sell it. Little townhouse projects where there might be three or four townhouses. Um, the biggest one that I undertook was a nine-unit development. So I guess in the early days, I stuck to the same type of project. And I think that has its merits if you stick to the same type and you, you'll start to get to um, be really clear on all of those numbers that I was mentioning before. And you'll know, you know, exactly what works and exactly what doesn't. And I guess having the benefit now of having been through multiple different types of developments and then now often providing a service to developers to buy sites for them, I can see that the guys that have done really well tend to stick to their knitting, so to speak. Whereas I was trying a lot of different things because I was trying to get multiple things happening. We had 20 at once going at one point. So 20 different developments of differing types. So one might be a subdivision with a reno of a house and a, and a new house on the back. One might be a block of four townhouses. One might be two new home builds. You know, and I think it is doable to have multiples like that going on. But the guys that I've seen do really well tend to just, you know, they, they stick in their lane. They know what they do. They do it well. They may sort of ratchet it up a bit, you know, so maybe they're doing units and they start with a small pack of units and then they do, you know, five or six of those and they get that right and then they'll step up to a bigger set of units. Then they'll step up to a tower. Like they're still sort of in the same vein, but they're just sort of growing bigger and bigger. So I think that was a big thing that I, I took out of it was probably just to stick to a single type for a while rather than try and do too many different things at once and then get that down pat and then grow from there. So, yeah, I think there's just a lot of merit in that. There's a lot of efficiencies that you can bring into that. And then there's, um, I guess, you you have your confidence built up. You understand all of the things that can happen because there can just be things. Even I remember my first development that required a development approval because splitter blocks didn't require that. If they were already on two lots, you didn't have to do, you didn't have to touch council. Like there were no council connections there, no council requirements. And then just stepping into the next level of development that required a development approval, which means it's got to go through council. And then it opens up a whole new world of things that you don't know that you didn't know. Now, I was, because I guess the other thing is I was never professionally trained in the space. Like I never did a property development at uni or I never, I did some courses here and there, but a lot of it I found out along the way. So 
I think if you jump too far and you go straight into something, you mean there's just so many more unknowns. Whereas if you gradually jump, the unknowns are just a little bit each time so that you can sort of weather the, the differences in there. And the other thing I guess I learned is that it never turns out like the FISO. So it just just ne- never does, never will. Don't try and make it. Always accept that something's going to go wrong or something's not going to go the way that you expected it and you'll never predict it at the start, but it will happen. Yeah, allow good contingency for fuck-ups. Yeah, allow good contingency. And, and that's sometimes not a cost thing. It could be a time thing. It could be a, a rear neighbor complains about something. It could, you, you never know. It could be like I've... You know, paid to clean people's pools before. You've, like, there's all sorts of things that come up where someone complains about X, Y, and Z. There's too much dust, and they're like, curtains need dry cleaning. Like, there's so many different things that can happen that you might not expect. That's interesting. So, what then led you to becoming a buyer's agent? Because, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you, you started a business originally on your own, and then you moved into working within, as I said, Cohen Handler, where I first met you. And then you subsequently started your own very successful business, which you run now. But where did where did that all start for you? Yeah, so when I first started, I'd um, I, you know as I was still in IT, as I mentioned, met my wife in IT, and then we decided that we wanted to. Well, we bought our first home. That's kind of where it kicked off. And then I wanted to do something a little bit more advanced. So I bought a block of land to build a house on to make a profit from. That was the goal. So we had that going. That um, the GFC came along and sort of changed that a little bit. We ended up moving in and uh, about a year after though, we, we drew the equity out of the house. Like, so we created quite a good amount of equity in it and that was my step then to go and start, you know, start something in property. So I decided if I could cover my income for a couple of years and have that sort of put aside, I would make the move from IT into property. Now, I um, was fairly naive. The reason I wanted to make the jump at the time was that we had a one-year-old daughter and so I didn't want to wait you know, until she was five and they were in schools and, you know, I, I sort of felt that would be too risky and there's a bit more cost then and, you know, that sort of stuff. So I wanted to make a move when our first child was young so that, because I knew I would take a hit in my pay and I was on a good pay at IBM. Um, so that's when I made, you know, we made that equity, we made the jump. I had no business plan. I had no, I just was like, oh, I'm just going to put deals together and do JVs, you know, it'll work out. And that's when I found myself sitting in the office in the newly built house that we developed, now supposedly free because I had money in the bank for a couple of years going, what am I going to do now? And that's when I started the personal development path actually because I was looking at everything. I couldn't make any project stack at the time. But I'm like, well, someone's making money out of renovation because that guy's going well and someone's making money out of that and someone's making money out of that. So why can't I find anything that stacks up? So I went on the personal development journey of thinking, well, it's got to be more around my mindset. I'm the common denominator, so it must be something to do here with me so I started doing a lot of personal development and then sort of not getting into that but then a lady from IBM asked me to help her with a purchase which I did and then she said how do I pay you I said I don't know I don't have any services or anything set up and she's she came to me with an envelope with like cash in it and she said I looked up what you did you did what a buyer's agent does I'm like oh okay that sounds pretty cool so I looked it up and then I, I did all my licensing and I, I got it all licensed as a buyer's agent and set up a buyer's agency then with the purpose of finding sites and I would find the site as a buyer's agent and then I'll do a joint venture with people on the development side and I would run the project. So that kicked off in 2009-10 and went through to 2018. At the start, I'm spending most of my time putting deals together and then you put, you put a deal together and then it's, okay, I've got to manage it. And then as gradually I sort of built it up, I was sort of spending 90, 95% of my time running the projects 
And that was, say, 2016-17 sort of time frame where I'm like, I really got no time to find any sites, no time to be out hunting for properties. Um, but I had other people in the business helping with some of that as well. We had more and more people wanting to do projects with us. So anyway, we kept going. But then we went through quite a big change in the market around 2014 here in Brisbane. I remember at the time, APRA changed the rules to lend to investors. So we had unit block finishing that was all investors. So we left kind of hanging there with this unit block that took about a year to sell the last sort of three or four units in. So that was getting a bit challenging. And then we had rising construction costs through that period as well because there was prior to that a lot of units being built in Brisbane, towers. They were sucking all the trades in. And so all the costs were going up for our projects, for our construction side of it, but the end sales weren't going up. So we didn't have the situation like we did the last two years where all the construction costs were going up, but so was your end sale. Like that was saving people in the last couple of years. We didn't have that. So we got into a really tight squeeze on a lot of projects and it became not very fun at all. And I started to look to find other help with the projects. So I met with someone at the time at Cohen Handler and asked if I could, you know, refer clients over to them because I didn't have the capacity to take on some of these new clients. And that's how that discussion started. And then I started winding down the four or five projects that I had. And at the time I had a discussion and it was like, well, what are you going to do now? I decided I was going to focus more on being a buyer's agent. I'd done a SWOT analysis on myself, interviewed some friends as well. And the consensus was that I like going fast, let's go, let's go. But sometimes I miss the detail that I should, if I was you know, really good at development, that I would pick up on. So I might be better at just acquisitions. And then I was speaking to CH at the time and they said, well, why don't you come and join us? And so that seemed like a good idea because my brand name and my business was all around development and I would focus a bit more on just regular buying of properties for people. So joined CH for a couple of years and then um, I guess having gotten used to running my own business for seven or eight years, I just really got that desire again to go back into running my own business. So I made that change back into our own business in January 2020. So that's kind of the journey, right? Just before COVID, which was cool, but I signed on some clients pretty quickly, got up and running quite fast, had some medical clients at the time. So they weren't too scared off by COVID and they were still in good positions and ready to buy. So we're able to still transact through the period. And then actually, because I've been through some very extremely stressful times through the development side of the business and when COVID come that felt like a walk in the park really it was like oh cool whatever so I went the opposite I just went let's go harder instead of waiting for everything to happen and seeing what goes and what and what happens so I actually hired my first team member then and then literally within a couple of months after that another one and so yeah we just decided to pedal to the metal through COVID and just push as hard as we could to you know find more people that we could still help and keep growing the business. It's phenomenal. It's a good journey. And I guess as well, like you also have taken a big turn with your business in the sense of you were focused from what I understand on a lot of development initially with your business locate. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you focus very heavily on family home buyers as well now, right? Yeah, that's correct. I reviewed the business after a little uh, six or eight months and we would sign on a, you know, what we call a primary residence buyer, a family home buyer and say we brought on a developer at the same time and we worked out fairly quickly. If we did the same amount of work in the first week, we would have 10 options for the homeowner and we, we might not have anything for the developer. But the developer, that could last six months with nothing that's decent. So that was one thing. We could actually provide more options and a better service. But the other key thing that was a hidden benefit was that the level of appreciation and fulfillment that I felt from helping a home buyer was extremely satisfying versus 
Um, not that I don't enjoy helping the developers, but they're less emotional and it's less exciting. I guess another project for those guys, it's great to help them. The homeowners, it's like we've changed your life type thing. People are super grateful and that feels really good actually. So when you actually get used to that and used to really making that phone call where you know, you're congratulating someone, they've secured a home and they sometimes you know, cry on the other side or <laughs> yell and scream because and, they're so excited. That's a good feeling. So that's why... I've moved over and we're now around 80% uh, primary residents. That's our core business. So really enjoy it. That's fantastic. So you obviously got dragged through the flames in the development journey, which I think not only, I guess, obviously made COVID a a walk in the park for you, but I'm sure it's prepared you for this business venture and future business ventures for when, you know, things don't go right. 100%. I think you can probably attest to this as well. I haven't met a business person yet who's doing really well. hasn't been through some kind of pretty major challenge at some stage. Well, I'm sure they're out there, but a lot of people, whether it's, you know, a stress or a finance challenge or a health challenge or something else, like there's typically a quite a big challenge behind a lot of people's success. And I think that for me, yeah, it was definitely through that development stage where it was highly stressful. It was, there was a lot of variables we couldn't control. And at the end of the day, it's kind of led me into something that I feel I'm better at. I see now when we buy, when we do buy for developers, the guys that professional at how good they are like that. So fast and quick at getting scheduled and organized and all of that sort of thing. Whereas I would prefer to just go find the next deal. So, you know, I really felt that I've landed in the right spot. But yeah, definitely didn't feel like it at the time. However, the resilience that I'd had to build and the, the mental strength as well and the ability to, you know, pick myself back up has very much helped me day to day in what we're doing now. And, you know, you draw upon that strength and you also learn about places that you never want to go back to. So I think that's a big driver as well. Do you feel like you're in the right place now with your with your current business, just where you're up to on the property ladder? Yeah, I think so. It's evolving and I think there's things that... So I've, I've learned to be great at being a buyer's agent. That's fantastic. I think the next level is learning to be great as a leader and a person that can mentor and help others in the business as well, whilst maintaining the main focus of, you know, still, you know, being a great buyer's agent. So yeah, I definitely feel like I'm in the right spot and I feel like we're evolving though. So we're growing still and the skills that I need to learn and prove upon are also sort of coming up more and more. So it's not just a set and forget, like this is what we're doing now, just day in, day out, it's the same. I still think there's a lot of growth to be had. Unreal. Well, Shane, I've enjoyed this conversation. You bring a lot to the table, I think, with a lot of the lessons you've learned and just a lot of the transactions, the skill, the knowledge that you've, I guess, cultivated over the time. So where can people find you if they want to reach out? Just up on our website. That's probably the best place to go, which is www.locatebuyersagency.com.au. You can contact us there. There are a lot of resources on there as well and you can get in touch that way or obviously Instagram or Facebook. So if you just look up my name or Locate Buyers Agency, you can find accounts for both of us on those uh, two channels as well. Unreal. Shane, wishing you a big, big, big 2023. Catch up.